the playfulness, it also goes back to, I always reference my young self in Eastern Cape. I'm 11 years old when I started actually drawing what I knew what a pencil was. So for me, that is like a happy place, very happy place. And I, in my work, I always try and go back to that happiness. Yes, there are things that have happened, but I, 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 I sort of always make the work as though that's how you'd find me making large objects, enlarging them. And it's also how I view the world. I probably view the world as a young girl. I don't know when that's going to change. So I use that throughout my work, whether it's installation, whether it's sculpture, whether it's um, uh, even the paintings that I'm making. It's always from a playfulness. From the Institute for Creative Arts at the University of Cape Town, this is the ICA podcast, where we interview South African artists and curators who perform or curate live interdisciplinary works. I'm Nkhopuleng Muloi, host of the season three of the ICA podcast, and you are listening to episode two, featuring visual artist Asama Lindlondi and her 2022 performance Between My Finger and Thumb. Ntlonti begins with the final lines found in the 1964 poem Digging by Seamus Heaney. Between my finger and thumb, the squat pen rests, I'll dig with it. She evokes digging as a source of inspiration and framework upon which the work occurs. The work considers the various ways in which histories are written and speaks of digging up the past to retrieve what was lost or forgotten, what the artist refers to as a process of re-remembering. Ndlondi uses the image of a pencil and soil to reflect on land and dispossession and carries the metaphor of digging and burying to investigate often painful familial histories. In today's episode, we step into Asamatlin Tlonti's world and contemplate the artist's interdisciplinary approach of exploration and experimentation. Um, it means they are still beautiful. Um, usually it's, they would say Asemahle Amakoma, which is my clan name, or Asemahle Amantombi, which is all girls, um, uh, my sisters, my siblings. So usually people would say that Asemahle something, something. They are still beautiful. Clan name, they are still beautiful. My family, they are still beautiful. I don't know why it was not you are still beautiful. Tell me about uh, growing up in your childhood. Have you always kind of had the, you know, draw towards art and music and are these things that you kind of grew up with and kind of always been interested in? So I come from a very, like, not loud, my father's side of the family, very musical, very loud when they get together. It's always like another whole spectrum, which is lovely. Um, and growing up, I remember my, my uncle used to carve like faces onto like a wooden thing and he used to put it as a stopper, a door stopper. And that was the first artworks that I saw in the house. So, and no, I didn't know that it was something um, that one could take as a career. It was anything that I was just 
just, just, just there as a dog stopper. And then I moved, so I moved up quite a bit when I was young. I was born here in Mitchell's Plain, grew up a few years and I went to Mitchell's Plain Primary School. And then mother got sick and then we had to go move. We were separated as kids. My younger sister went to my aunt in Joburg. Me and my old sister, my old sister stayed with my mom, then I had to go stay with my grandmother in Eastern Cape. I moved back to Cape Town when I was around four. Spent many years with my mom then, and then we moved back to Eastern Cape again. That was the period where my mom kept getting sick. And then whenever she got sick, and then we had to get moved to go somewhere else, and then we come back to Cape Town. So even when I was like in Eastern Cape, I... Eastern Cape, you just made things with what you could find. Like you just found anything in the dump. used to pay poppy ace quite a lot. Poppy ace is when you just uh, play housey-housey. If you find a field somewhere, you make bricks, uh, almost like a square of them, and you collect like tins, those become your pots. You collect like um, a flame, that paraffin stove, that doesn't work, and that you just make a makeshift house. And that's how we used to sort of play and the dolls that you used to play with um, like you used to take a bottle not a, sometimes you find a two litre sometimes it's a one litre and you just cut it open just by the top and you start feeding it mud and that will be the porridge and whenever the baby's full and then you empty the porridge so it was a very imaginary very fun time of my life and uh, we didn't know that people would buy dolls or buy all these things because they just used what we had around us we also used to make a ball out of um, the orange sack or the vegetable sack, which is so interesting. It's all these things sort of coming back into my work. With the Poppy AC, there was an installation that I made um, when I was still here at Michaelis in my third year, and it was called the Poppy AC. And it was a makeshift of, um, of all these things we used to have when we were playing it, but then the bottle or the doll was made out of bronze. So, and even now, the use of the vegetable sack, I'm still using it currently in my work. So all those things that I found quite beautiful and interesting when I was growing up, I sort of insert them in where I am currently and in what I'm making. Yeah, but movement, I quite moved a lot in different houses, even when I was in like my primary school, even when I was in high school. We moved around to my aunt, to my grandmother, and then back to my mom. Not quite sure. You as a kid, you don't know what settling is. You don't know. You just get there and you live that part of your life and those are the memories that you walk away with and then you go to another It's like walking around with a bag and this is a memory bag and you're just like collecting all these memories and all this thing. Let's start with um, the title of the work. Can you tell us a little bit about the title? The title of the work, Between My Finger and Thumb, The Squirt Pen Rest, and I will dig with it. And I remember when I came across this poem and I'm reading it, I'm like, okay. And at that time, it sort of made sense. I was at a place, at a time, where I, I used my work as a way of digging who I am and knowing um, where I come from, what what led me to be where I am right now, what led the family uh, or the entire clan to be uh, located to, for us to be in this um, urban area, where, where to be for us to be in Eastern Cape, for instance. 
So throughout my work, it was a way for me to just ask those questions, ask, forever asking questions, forever asking questions from my mom. And my mom sometimes would be like, I don't know, I wasn't in your family by then. And I'd go to my father and I sometimes wouldn't know call my mom, my grandmother, my aunts. So I was forever doing that and hoping that in, in that way I'd resolve my, my, my work. And at times I did. And I was always walking around with this a notebook and a pen and or forever jotting down whenever they speak and going you're recording this conversation that I'm having with them. So this whole idea of using art as a way of digging, whereas the poem uses his pencil and his writing as a way of knowing who he is and re-remembering. So my art was a way of remembering the way before I was even born, how I came to be, how my family came to be. And then um, now I moved into another aspect of my family, which is very close to the land in Eastern Cape and even land itself. And at the time when people were talking about the land issue in South Africa, yes, I was for it and I was about it, but it's only when it hits you personally that you're like, oh, damn. Okay, and how do we then talk about this and how do I resolve this in my own personal space in, in order for me to be there in the streets and be like, we want our land back. And, um, and it's still the case right now. So that's, that's, that's always been an issue. And this investigation and this performance was an investigation of land uh, at home in Eastern Cape. father migrated um, from Eastern Cape a long time ago, moved to Cape Town. Spent many years here in Cape Town and never went back. So those are the questions I used to ask him, why did he never go back? And he passed away here in Cape Town. He was buried here in Cape Town. And um, and he had a house and everything in Eastern Cape, but now it just it dilapidated. It's no more. It's like a plain field. And I do have memories of a young child being in that house because when you are introduced in Belek or there's rituals that are, are done there. So now for you to have that part of you just like almost closed off, that part of your memory, just like you can't, the part of yourself that you can't access further, for me that became a frustration. Why did he move? Why did he never go back? And why did he allow the house to be no more? And why no one for many years, for decades actually, why no one was bothered by this. And when I went back, I went back last year, the land is not the same. We've like, we had like a large amount of land. And it's a small piece now. It's a small piece that's left over. So it's an issue that I'm, I'm sort of trying to resolve and my work becomes my way of digging with it, probing the questions. And I, what I like about that is that it's not only me. My work, yes, is about me, but then a lot of people can relate to that. So that I'm not only telling my story, um, but I'm also tapping into other people for them to access and ask those questions that I want, to, if they want to ask those questions. Before entering this space, the ushers informed the audience about the use of Mbepo in the room. As they enter the performance space, they sit around the small classroom at the edge by the walls. The soothing sound of the flute envelops the room, creating a feeling of tranquility. Across the room are large heaps of soil, each with massive pencil sculptures about a meter tall stuck in them.
Ntlonti is sitting at the one end of the room playing the harmonica while her collaborator Mfundo Zono begins to walk across the room slowly, stammering. The sound of shakers around his feet producing displaced and syncopated noise. other aspect of it is like what you're smelling as well so maybe you can take us through the kind of feelings that you wanted to create in this space like the darkness you know why the room was so dark where the performance happened it was a lot of wanting to work with shadows and allowing the hill if you, as you walked in was in the space you'd see the pencils standing about and there's like a, two hills um, heaps of soil in the space and with those heaps of soils, the reason why we wanted to darken the lighting of it would, would have to create, wanted to create shadows of landscape onto the wall, as though you're looking at like somewhere very far. As you walked in those two hills, those two heaps of soils in the space and the pencil just like, almost like a ground, as a plant, and they're just making like a semicircle around it. And the, obviously there was a the smell of umbeb. For me, that's always so calming. You walk into a space and it's like, let me, everything in me just calms down. During apartheid, the South African government used what became known as the pencil test to determine racial identity. This degrading and dehumanizing method involved a pencil being pushed through the hair. The ease with which the pencil moved through the texture of the hair became a measure to draw a divide along racial lines. And I remember I looked at, there was this artist who Kimang had had like a photo, photo, photography of him, like the pencil test during apartheid. And I was so fascinated in using the pencil test, but then on land and a piece of just like piece of soul that's this lay, just like using the pencil test, as if you're being tested as if this is your land, Banyan. Because now back then it used to test you whether or you really or you're black or you're but now it's 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 inserted to say, is this really your land? Is this really where you come from? Because a lot of times you feel like a visitor in your own piece of land when you feel like a visitor in in, in your own home. We have different systems of writing as Wanduamnyam, and we have different systems of keeping knowledge on your memory. And I remember I even had like a thing, I was like, there's the body, there's the soul, and there's the pencil. The body becomes so many things that are not told about you. If you're not told about where you come from, for instance, me, not told about um, who you are, you will find them out, whether through dreams, whether through visions, whether through a lot of things. So the stories, whether we write about them, we don't write about them, they do exist in our bodies. I didn't actually know that you sculpted the pencils. I guess I just figured that you they were found somehow and then you maybe painted them. Can you tell us about that process? 
Um, I, I wanted it to be an installation. When people walk into the performance, the installation is there, or when, when they leave, the installation is still there. So I wanted to not just be a performance. Some of my performances sometimes they'd start off from an artwork, from whatever that is that I have. Ogani will be a continuation of an artwork. So yes, it was a sculpture piece that I had carved into, um, just taking like a round piece of wood and just like making sure the lines are there. And yeah, I don't know, I, I, for me that was important for me to make everything and to be involved because in my idea I always see myself as that if I, or when I do this, when I take this whole idea of performance further and I'm, maybe I'm on stage, I'd want to make everything that's going to be on stage. Someone walks in, it's an exhibition, but at the same time it is a performance. And after the performance you could look at all the artworks that are there. And I, I, I deliberately did that so that I don't separate the two because I'm a visual artist who's coming into performance art. You had a collaborator for this performance. Mm. Um, so who did you collaborate with and why was it important to have someone else's body there? So uh, with this performance, I worked with Umfonda, Umfonda Zona, and I also worked with Ukuma Sopotela. And I, I always argue that, okay, here is me, this is the idea, here's my body. I want to use it in this way, but at the same time, it would be nice to to bring someone else would be like, okay, your body's stiff now, do this and this. So I needed her coming from this um, direction of theater and drama. And Mfundo, Mfundo is a humble guy, extremely humble. And there's something so beautiful about performers that are humble, because you're willing to step into whatever, not even character, but you're willing to step into and embody whatever that you have to embody, the person or the idea. For me, it felt very natural with him. It didn't have to... It was very organic. That's the that I was looking for. Everything was very organic. And we fed off each other. And that was, for me, that was such a beautiful thing. And how we even resolved the work, we played around. Just like tossed the pencils in that space. Um, and we'd be like, OK, maybe in the performance when you're walking, you're just tossing it. And even when the musical element, how it started, I just picked it up in the rehearsal. I was like, OK. I know I love musical instruments and I started playing it. And yeah, that's how the work came about. Just like a puzzle that we didn't even know where it's going to end up. Ntlonti's collaborator Mfundo Zona wears a ragged sack. It covers his body and the back of his head. He moves toward each heap of soil in long and drawn-out strides, as if he's struggling. He carefully removes all the pencils from the mounds of soil one by one, placing them in the middle of the room as well as alongside the walls. Once he completes this task, he remains standing and mute, at which point Ntlonti abandons the harmonica she has been playing since the beginning of the performance walks toward each of the pencil sculptures and pushes them around violently, toppling each onto the floor.
When all the pencils are on the floor, Glonti begins to scoop soil with her hands, sometimes using the bottom part of her long dress to carry the soil. First, she pours the soil next to each pencil sculpture and then moves towards Zono, pouring scoops of this dirt by his feet. At times, she does this slowly and at other times, she moves with a kind of frantic fervor. When Clonti makes initial contact with Zono, he lets out a wail, panting and gasping for breath. At some point, Zono's cries begin to sound like sighs of relief, and eventually he stops moving and assumes a crouched position. Umfundo walks around and takes out each pencil as if like christening it, because it, each pencil represents story each pencil represents someone else each story represents a clan that has so many things they need to resolve and each pencil he puts around as if it's a crown as if now there's going to be a meeting that's going to if you imagine umhlandian like people are gathered in umhlandian and there's like this case that's put in front of them that they're trying to resolve for instance who took this person's land so that was the idea behind it uh, we put forward in this case that here are the people, they each have a complaint that their stories have not been told, things that are not done properly. So, so the beginning of it becomes like almost like a plant in that way. And people walk in and they sit down on the floor and the music then it's also there that's playing in the space. And I come in and I disrupt that. Then the performance sort of sort of begins in a way, and each pencil then represented as though I'm I'm be, I've been giving something so important to hold it so tightly and so gracefully, and I make sure that I don't spill it during Nikelaylenisiza cause. Imagine being a child that's sent to the shop and your parents are like, don't spill this thing, and you therefore have to make sure that whatever you're carrying, jengumdano tuni where you. We make sure that it, it gets there properly. So it felt like that, and there were times when Mfondo would be almost like a character of my grandfather. There were times when Mfondo would, would embody the character or, or the creatures, the cows. There were times where it would just like come in different forms. So in that moment, um as you already like so beautifully said that he's almost like presenting these unheard cases. What is his role during that moment, that specific part of the performance where he's like removing and like placing the pencils? If you if you if you if you think of a chief and the one below the chief Induna, and people go and place their cases to Induna for instance, and then Induna will be the one who takes them up to whoever is above him. So Mvundo in that aspect played that that character of okay, Siaiva, Yongle and Niteta and each one is it's like having like a pile of paper, this is what's been put in front of the chief, this is what these are the complaints from everyone. So he played that character in the beginning. These are the cases that are put in front of us. Each pencil, whether long or tall, whether um, it's been used or unused, has 
has a complaint, inverted commas, if, if I want to continue in this analogy. So was Uzbegile just in front of everyone, kind of in front of the, the chief? Um, and then it begins, what is this complaint? What is happening? They all want to be told and they all want a piece of land and they all want to be sharpened and they all want to be used. And how we treat it, and you had to do it so respectfully and just wear it as though all of them are here listening to what is what is happening. Mm-hmm. And everyone is like, nations are here watching this thing and how you then treat each nation is important. The pencils falling, when we were rehearsing it, I'd be very startled. When we put them across the wall and it'd fall, I'd be very startled about it. So it was disruption with that calm, very somber music coming through. And it would be like a wake-up call. Um, it would be like, literally like thunder, just coming through. And it doesn't matter where you are, you have to stop eating, close the windows, make sure the windows or the mirrors are covered and all those things. So it became that, um, and as, as though if I could say like the skies are angry, for instance, if I, if I make if, if, if I make Lomzakel. So it became that, and the music in the beginning just walks in and allows you to come into the space, and it's nice slow coming from another performance and come to the space. It gives you a moment just to just calm down and sit down. I'm like, okay, I'm in a different place now, different performance. And then once you're trying to settle down, a disruption comes through. Um, and how do you then... How do you then disrupt people and how do you then not let, take them from A to Z? For me, that becomes very boring when people can predict what's going to happen next. So it's like, okay, if you know that maybe this is the sound is going to continue maybe throughout, let's disrupt that and remove that... Um, um, thing of, of, of it being predictable. So, yeah, it was a disruption. Throughout the performance, there was like bits of sounds of... I'd recorded a, a conversation where I was interviewing my entire family um, about my grandfather, about my great uncles and everyone, and they, they're talking about it, that's in the background, and her voice is prominent because I'm asking her all these questions. At, at some point, I wanted her to be in the space on a video of her writing a letter, and she's writing a letter to the next generation, saying that this is the piece of land you are coming from, in Eastern Cape, and your grandfather moved into Cape Town. So I, wanted, I, I needed an element of her in that space. And then we resulted by having the sound and by me wearing her dress. Let me embody her, but at the same time, I'm still her child. So I had to play into those two elements. Um, even Mfundo, where he plays like this character of a very old man trying to walk and can't see, and I'm directing him by put, pouring up the soil because this is frail. Um, but at the same time, now he sees that everything has changed so much. The way that he, he left the things when he was still on this earth are not the same as they are now. So we, we, we change in between those two roles 
even with him being an adult, being a child, and, 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 and those two elements. And where I throw the soul up, that's me being a child, but at the same time, when I'm carrying, and, and that's me being a protective mother, being my grandmother, because you protect your, your clan, you protect your offsprings and everything. So Mfundo and Akali were changing between those two roles. And for me, that was, that was important, because at the same, I'm telling the story, but at the same time, the story is being told to me. Um, I'm asking the questions, but then the questions are being answered in Akum. So things like, um, yeah, intertwined, as you said. So yeah, that that's that for me was very important also, just to just cross between those lines, and you don't, you're not quite sure. There's no um, when the crossing happens, but you just have to watch clearly and listen clearly. You'll see by the way he handles the thing. You'll see by the small gestures that happen that okay now the childness. Okay, now it's the grandmother that's there. And that kind of crossing or cross-pollination um, is so prevalent within the entire performance. There's also that aspect where you have uh, the projection. Mm-hmm. So maybe you can speak a little bit about what that. What are you projecting? Um, these kettle, little clay sculptures that are coming through. There's a projection screen, and on the right of the projection screen are cows. Cows just moving. I took it when I was in my residence in Tilbach. Um, and I was literally just sitting having breakfast, and I'm looking at all these cows just like moving. I just took out my phone, I was just starting shooting a video of it. And it was like a, a small gap in between trees that I could see them and where they're just like moving. You don't know where they're coming from, you don't know where they're going. And I took a video of that. On the other, on the left-hand side, the projection screen, it's also cows, but they're made out of clay. Mfune and I had fun. We were like, the, the, our rehearsal space became our studio. We just put clay here, we're like, let's have fun. At first, I would have loved for a video of, even if it was my, someone with frail hands, just like, making this clay so it's not going to be perfect so it's not going to be molded and it's going to be very rough so that was the image that we're trying to make uh i don't have much this is me i don't have much anymore but i i have this is what i'm giving you as the next generation i'm giving you a foundation and that foundation is this is where you are this is where you come from this is your ancestors what i have enough if i go back to my family what, I, what we have left now are stories of that. We had cattles that were like there and there and there. So what I am left with is the memory and the stories that I'm told. So the way when I'm making those clay sculptures, it becomes of something of remembering, re- okay, trying to go back how it was because I wasn't born then. I have the image here. Here's the story telling me that this is how you live. This is what I'm doing, but I don't see it every day in my life. So therefore I'm forming my own thing. I'm quite surprised that earlier when you were talking, you made a distinction that you think of yourself as a visual artist and a visual artist who kind of performs and not necessarily like, oh, I'm a performance artist. Um, But at the same time, it kind of does make sense to me because I think a lot of what we see in the performance, I've seen in your practice elsewhere. Um, So maybe you can tell us about kind of the way in which you conceptualize the work that you did here and how that process feeds in or takes away from or adds to Mm. the work that you're really doing as a visual artist. It's a very good question, by the way. Mm -hmm. And um, when I'm 
making my work, there's always a sense of playfulness within it. Um, it, it feels like sometimes I tap into a very younger self me uh, and what do I want and when I'm very stressed, I can't, I can't, I can't touch it. For me, it has to be fun, it has to be enjoyable, I have to enjoy it. I have to like the work before it leaves my studio. I have to like the work before it's seen by other people so that I don't, um, I know that I've given it my all, I've given it my heart. But I also, I'm also a playful person, even though, so that's also me. So, yeah, I think that's the best for me when you are having fun. It's something that's, there's, there's a golden thing that makes the work shiny that people can feel it. Um, even if it's something that is uh, 2D, you can sort of feel that energy that's in the work. So it's important that whatever energies that you throw into that, it's vis for me, it's visible. Whether it's, it's anger, as long as that people can sort of feel what we're trying to do into the work. So, yeah, I always make work from, a, from that aspect. And as a final question, um, where do you kind of see this work continuing? So I know that a lot of your work, um, it's almost like an unfinished conversation that keeps happening. Like, as I was saying earlier, when you spoke to me about the little rag dolls that you used to make for yourself and, you know, the ball that you used to make from, like, um, the orange sacks and all of these things are things that come into your work at different points in time. So I just wanted to get a sense of like what it is that you are working on right now and how kind of this performance feeds into future work. Um, I'm still, memory is still, still a very important thing in my work, um, tapping into a memory um, and materials such as like the vegetable sack or the orange sack. It's something that we used to find around us quite a lot. I, I enjoy using things around me, things either that have been used before, things that have memory of everyday, an everyday object, where I know a lot of people could relate to this. So like, it becomes in the collective memory that all have, even if you grew up in Gauteng, for instance, we played similar games. If you sit down and talk about our childhood, we played the same things. And how do you, does one walk into a performance, an installation, an exhibition, and you immediately like, oh, this reminds me of my home, or this reminds me of my grandmother. And that's what I want. I want, I want to access those parts of, of, of my memory, but also someone else's. Even with the paints that I'm making, it's, it's a lot of texture that I'm trying to achieve that remind me of Eastern Cape. Because I'm not there, I would love to be there. I wake up there every morning, but I'm here. So then how do I then, for someone to walk in, I'm like, ah, oh, I remember, it reminds me of my grandmother's house. Oh, we had this paint once upon a time, and then you, it allows you to access that happy place. If it is a happy place, hopefully it is. Um, of your childhood because it's my happy place so yeah that's what I, I try and, and, and achieve when I'm trying to do with with all the aspects of my work throughout my career and just push it further each and every time The ICA podcast is a production of the Institute for Creative Arts at the University of Cape Town. It is hosted by me, Nkhopeleng Muloi, and produced and edited by Catherine Bull. Music in this episode includes Turning to You by Blue Dot Sessions. 
Additional sounds and music are from Asema Lintlonti's 2022 ICA Live Art Festival performance of Between My Finger and Thumb.